This is the Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Podcast, investing and wealth building with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hey, everybody. I'm Connie Buna. I'm Roland Kim. And you are listening to our investment podcast. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here. Roland. Yeah. Let's talk today about pleasure and pain. <laughs> For investing. For investing. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a different podcast. All right. Two really key topics. I mean, it's pretty much the extreme opposites, the polar ends of the whole investing world. So you got a lot of pain that gets you to your pleasure in the investing business. And I think it all starts off with a mindset. I think a lot of people jump into real estate investing and there's certainly a way of doing it where it's passive off the side of your desk. Mm -hmm. I'm just investing cash. Don't call me. I want no problems. And I want all the benefit of real estate investing. It's like investing in a REIT. Like just put my money in there and allow it to move where it will go. Totally. And there's so much there. Like you could invest into mortgages. You could be the financial partner in a joint venture. Like if that is the type of investor you want to be, focus in real estate, go find it. Right. Mm -hmm. But and there's good money to be made there. But the classic real estate investor where, you know, you're getting a tenant into a home, whether it's a property that you've purchased and add a lot of value to and then you rent out or even if it's a flip or something, there is going to be a lot of hands on time, Mm -hmm. a lot of energy invested, a lot of money that's getting invested. So, you know, you're transferring energy, time, money into this and it is a business. It Mm -hmm. is like another job. Yes. And so I think a lot of people maybe underestimate what's going to happen. And a lot of the pain points that are going to come up and you need to get through the pain. Part of the pain as well for a lot of potential investors or first time investors or even seasoned investors is the natural fear, doubt and risk that comes up throughout the process Mm -hmm. and how you deal with it. How did you feel? Like, can you take yourself back to the most recent early investment you bought a few years ago? Yes. My first investment buy in terms of pain versus pleasure, I certainly lived in the pain place because all I focused on was my fear, my concern, my lack of experience, my concern around how to find and vet tenants. And, you know, for myself personally, like I have a real fundamental desire to have an environment where I'm actually providing great housing to somebody. It's not just a money-making business. And so I was really overwhelmed with like, how does that exist How does that exist also when you're dealing with people that you likely don't know? I was really scared that first step. It took me many years to get there, probably many more years in reflection would have liked. But taking that first step is like kind of tipping your skis over the edge of the mountain and just allowing gravity to take hold. Totally. I kind of think of problems that you're going to face, like, you know, some that you're alluding to often fall down into, um, is it a people problem or a product or system problem, right? So a lot of when I speak and coach investors, a lot of the problems that they are talking about that they want to solve often come back to they're in business with the wrong people, whether it's a tenant, a joint venture, partner, or the product, the investment has issues, and that's really causing them the problem. And then I would, you know, break that into three sections, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And one is the bad tenant problem, the bad purchase problem, and the bad timing problem. Yes. Often people just think of the problems being around the tenants. So of course, 
tenants, someone else is living in your investment. It really, and this is a key point when I'm speaking with a potential investor or active investor is you got to be honest with yourself. You got to figure out your comfort zone. Because if you're the type of person that literally renovated this apartment, you lived in it, you loved it, you cared for it, and you still see it as your perfect home, Mm -hmm. and now you're looking to rent it out, even the most well-intentioned tenant who takes really good care of it, but 10 years passes and 10 years of living, or, you know, you would walk through there and you would feel like they've mistreated it because you're so attached to it. And so those folks can still be really good investors. They just got to be honest with themselves about what's their natural challenges that they need to go over and how do they alleviate that. Mm. But in a typical situation, what I've discovered is most problems that you're going to face, the pain points, if you approach it, if you keep in the back of your mind that time solves nearly everything Mm -hmm. and everything that you're feeling, everything you're afraid of, everything you want to avoid in that moment and not deal with, it could be a lot worse. Yes, it could be better, but it could be a lot worse. And that's a good starting point, I think for myself when I'm dealing with an issue is knowing that we're going to get through this. You know, it might have a few more hiccups. It might get worse before it gets better. But a year from now, five years from now, it's going to just be part of the fabric of the storyline of the property. Mm -hmm. And very few investors, five, six, seven years out from a problem are still, you know, PSD'd from the problem. Like they get over it. They're happy. (laughs) They're glad they made the decision. Also, obviously a fear factor is the scenario where, for example, the tenant is a little bit more problematic than just your average nuisance. They do profound damage to your home. They don't pay rent. What's your advice for folks who are, that's a fear factor for them? That's holding them back. So early on, if you're deciding what to buy, where to buy, and what kind of strategy, that comes into it. Because there are provinces, there are jurisdictions in Canada where, you know, the laws are more in favor for the tenants. And there's places where they're more in favor for the landlord as far as, you know, ramifications if things go wrong. Mm -hmm. And so that's something you need to be aware of when you're buying in a specific province, Mm -hmm. is how do the tenancy laws protect bad tenants? Yes. And what can be done when that happens? The truth is, and I've gone through it, I've gone through the legal process of evicting a tenant. It's a painful, slow, you feel naked through it. You feel violated. You feel exhausted. You feel frustrated. I've luckily and hopefully never will go through a divorce, but I would say this is like the taste of that frustration where you want to solve things on your timeline. You want to move forward and you just see yourself as like, this is a black and white matter. It's like, it's so simple. I'm in the right, they're in the wrong. Why can't we alleviate the problem and solve it? The reality is there's probably a a second side to every situation, a different opinion, and there's a process to work through. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a bad tenant who's damaging your home, who's wasting your time, you're losing money and you're not getting paid in rent and you're going down the pathway of the eviction process, do know that in the end, the tenant will be evicted. Mm -hmm. There probably will be damage. Mm -hmm. You'll be out of money. Mm -hmm. But again, five years down the road, it will not have been the wrong decision. Are you ready to build your real estate portfolio? It starts with taking the first step. Call the Home Happy team for a free review of your financial situation and let us start to build your financing plan. Our team's experience, technology, and lender connections will allow you to build what you may not think is possible. We will look at all the options open to you and mix those with your dreams and goals to build the perfect mortgage strategy for your next step. With the Home Happy team helping you, your future starts now.
Roland, some great advice that you gave me when I was purchasing my first investment property. It was around running your investment real estate business like a business and regarding your relationships as landlord tenants as a business such that you will provide notice for eviction one day after a rent payment has not been made. Is that correct? It's taken me many, many years to get there. Yes. But I've proven myself wrong many, many times of not following my own rules Mm -hmm. and things slip and slide and they get sloppier and you're not doing a service to the tenant. Like often bad habits grow into really bad habits when you're not there to follow the rules that you both set and both said you would follow. Mm Mm-hmm. And so running it like a business protects the tenant, it protects you because it probably eliminates an escalating situation. Yes. Do you have a practice? What I've started doing is actually having really transparent and direct conversations with people as we're even in the interview stages of a tenancy agreement where I just say very explicitly, call me for any issue. I will solve it as soon as possible. I'm very proactive and my only boundary is not paying rent. That's my only boundary. Outside of those things, I have lots of time and space to have a variety of conversations about different scenarios in somebody's home. But that is a hard line for me. And I think a lot of that has to do with those very early days conversations that we had together about giving somebody an inch, taking a mile, that Mm -hmm. very human dynamic that exists. Definitely. I think also as I've aged, now when I'm interviewing a tenant, whether the tenant's older or younger than me, I feel I've earned the role I'm in and I've worked very hard for that investment. And so I don't feel like an imposter where I'm renting to someone, you know, 30% older than me. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to have a normal conversation, same way as I would in our real estate coaching business or our real estate trading services business. And I want to really understand what are their challenges and what are they looking for? Like, what do they want to avoid? How do I win with them? How do I lose with them? And I say the same thing, you know, about myself. And so part of that is I might share more about my world with a tenant than some lords do, but I will explain to a tenant that perhaps if it's, you know, one of my properties in Kelowna that I don't live in Kelowna, but I have a great team here to alleviate any challenges that come up. I'm a father of four, a busy person. I have, again, all the time in the world if something breaks and you need me. I have no time for a lack of rent payment and for issues amongst other tenants or causing drama, mm-hmm. right? Like you can leave any time and break the lease and I'd rather have that than getting caught up in drama. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is, you know, I share with them, they can feel free to take a look at my Facebook page to see the type of person I am. And I kind of expect the same. I'm really big into calling previous lodging references now. Whereas previously, I kind of, you know, the earlier version of me three, four years ago, I think I kind of mailed that in where I asked some generic, like high level questions. And if there's a red flag and the tenant has some track record, unless they've brought it up before, unless they've addressed it and explained why that won't happen again. To me, that's just a no fly zone Mm because it's like, you know, you're not my child. I'm not there to raise you. We're in a business relationship and I'm going to hold up my end and I need you to hold up yours. Awesome. Thinking more on the pain front, let's talk a little bit about bad purchase or the fear of a bad purchase. Can you talk me through some of the fundamentals that you review? I crunch the numbers to assess the value of an investment property. Not everybody, for example, understands what a cap rate is. So can you talk me through how you screen for a bad purchase? And it comes back to, we've spoken about this before, like in my mind, it's what's your avatar at this point in time that you're looking for in your investment. And it changes multiple times throughout your investing career. 
And so for some investors that I work with, they're looking for cash flow and safety up front. Others are looking for really good market appreciation. Others are looking for like the worst property that they want to flip. And so each one of these people has a different degree of patience and appetite for problems. Yes. And so you first and foremost want to make sure you're comparing apples to apples. So if you're looking for a purchase fill it with a great tenant, set it and forget it. And, you know, the property is young and should never have any strata issues or maintenance in the near term. Then that steers you towards a certain type of property in a certain type of area. And if I was looking for that type of property, I would look at what's a low return, what's a good return and what's a great return for that caliber, for that avatar style of investment. And so I want to make sure that I have clarity. Then I want to make sure the numbers I'm receiving are correct. And so I probably, from an investigation point of view, from a research and crunching the numbers, I would say I don't overthink it where I'm putting in every number from like vacancy to depreciation to breakdown, lifeline of a building. I'm more trying to figure out what is realistic, what's a good deal in this scenario, and are the rents that I'm receiving, are they realistic? Like if this tenant left tomorrow, can I replace the rent? Yes. Because I see a lot of investors are attracted to high rents and they do exist. It's not like the rent's made up. It's the studio is being rented in downtown Vancouver for a ridiculous price, but it was also from someone perhaps at the height of the market, you know, needed a place right away, couldn't find anything and they accepted a very high payment. Mm -hmm. If that tenant left, you know, you could be 20, 30% less on rent. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's the rent needs to be protected, realistic, achievable and repeatable. Mm -hmm. And then the expenses that we're basing our investment ideas on need to be proven. Like, so if you're calculating the taxes, the insurance, the utilities, if you're paying for that, get proof of it. I've seen way too many people plug in a number for the insurance cost or the utilities, and it changes dramatically. Yes. So for example, on the West coast of Canada, right now we're going through a lot of insurance recalibration where the insurance rates are dramatically different year over year. Mm -hmm. And so you could use an insurance premium that perhaps did exist that the previous landlord did use or did pay for insurance coverage, but it could be more than double, triple to what it will be today when you go and insure it. Mm -hmm. And that can take away your profit margin and shift the investment from something you wanted to not, what you didn't want. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you go on the extreme opposite side of Canada on the East Coast or interior Canada, where you have a lot of intense climates, you know, I've seen people think they got a great deal where they're purchasing a property and it looks like it has really nice cash flow, but the landlord is paying utilities and they never investigated what the cost of the utility is. They kind of threw in a number and mm. it could be like four times the price on a bad winter. Right. And the funny part is, it's almost like when we, you and I sell residential real estate, if we disclose all the information, we will find the right buyer at the right price for any property. It's when the wrong information is relied on, when either it's hidden or it's not researched and it leaves a bad experience, a bad taste in the consumer's mind. Mm -hmm. And so a bad purchase based on the numbers not being what you expected, often the numbers haven't changed. It's you who's doing the due diligence. You've either missed information or in a rare situation, you know, the other side might be lying or hiding or changing something. Mm -hmm. But that can often lead to a negative experience where you might have purchased a good property. I might look at all the information and see your deal and say, I think you have a great deal, but you might have seen it differently. And you might have had expectation that it's easier to manage or it has higher appreciation or it's going to have better cash flow and you kind of are left with a bad taste in your mouth and you never really get past it and you're kind of frustrated. Yes.
Something that I often hear investors talk about is the concept of cash flow, and you touched on it there. Would you say flat out that an investment that you need to top up is a bad purchase? No, not flat out. Again, comes back to what are you expecting? What are you looking for? Mm. Where are you buying? For many people, you know, you really have to ask yourself, why are you buying an investment property that you have to top up? So the quick answer to that could be like you're buying into a very expensive area, such as downtown Vancouver, and you're basing your numbers on the fact that you're going to raise rent 2% a year. And five years from now, you know, the property will break even. Mm-hmm. It'll have increased 20% over that time, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And 20 years down the road, when you really need the cash flow, when you're retiring, it'll be healthy in cash flow. Yes. And the other option you have is waiting until you have more money saved up to put more down. And when you run the numbers in that scenario, it's probably a lot more financially smart to you know supplement two, $300 a month for the first two, three, four years to buy a great property mm-hmm. than try and save up a larger down payment mm-hmm. so you can get into the market with no supplementation. And so I've myself purchased, you know, recently a property on the west side of Vancouver where we're supplementing it a few hundred dollars a month because the rent doesn't cover it. But it's in an old good building in an area where right beside it, the building has been torn down, redeveloped. It's obviously we're making a decision. There's a risk in any decision you make. But I believe in my lifetime, certainly. And I think more, you know, acutely in the next two to 10 years, that property will double in value when it gets bought by a developer. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not a typical investment that's more you know a strategy that we're applying in that scenario yeah you're very deliberately assessing that opportunity and also the other side of that the risk yes which is that the building isn't well maintained because they're holding out on hoping to be brought out and the buyout doesn't happen and then you're potentially on the hook for a considerable amount of capital upgrade costs so that is a measured risk just like in any investment there are natural risks associated Is there anything else that we might be missing in terms of the the idea of a bad purchase? Yeah, I mean, I think the last point there, you kind of lead into bad timing Mm -hmm. and the wrong decision at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And that's why my favorite real estate strategy is buy and hold. Because time will overcome any problem. Mm -hmm. You might look back 10 years down the road and say, man, I wish I bought a different property because yes, I did okay. But during those 10 years, had I put my investment into here or this or that, it would have been so much better. Yes, but even with, you know, with the horizon of five plus years, five to 10 years, I have experienced lots of problems and overcome the challenges, seen investors go through some huge trials and tribulations. And yet, had they not done anything, they sat on the fence and were an observer the whole time, they would definitely be further behind. Right. And then the last one is just being honest with yourself. So bad timing not only can mean to markets and the property, it's also about your emotional and financial capacity at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're exhausted, empty, you're at your wit's end, you just had another child, might not be the best time to buy an investment property because you might be empty emotionally. Mm -hmm. Even if it's the best property, you got to ask yourself, am I at a point where I want this? Is it good timing? And then the last one that's out of your control, but you want to be aware of is intervention, either from a macro perspective. So it's either government changing, it's municipalities, or if you're in a strata property, it's the strata changing rules or changing the rules of play, essentially, from what you perceived being on the table when you went into the investment. Most of those changes really are a short-term impact. Mm -hmm. And so if you can outlast, if you don't need to sell in the short term, you'll overcome those challenges. Awesome. Well, let's move into one of my favorite topics, pleasure. 
<laughs> Leverage. That's my favorite in real estate pleasure. It's show me another product where I put down zero to 20% for an investment residential property. And yes, you can buy properties with leverage. And I get the full capital growth of the essential market value. And so I'm only putting 20% down. I'm mortgaging the rest. That is amazing leverage. And so that is just exciting. That mm -hmm. is such a powerful force mm -hmm. and kind of leads into principal pay down. So everyone has a different thing that excites them with investment properties. The principal pay down is what I really am attracted to in my investment properties. Yes, it's amazing when periodically I do a financial profile of all the investment properties and figure out, you know, what are they worth and what are the numbers looking like? And it's obviously great when the prices have gone up, but I'm not planning on selling them. What really excites me is calculating the mortgages I have on everything, making sure that the rents cover it. Yes, seeing a positive cash flow at the end of the month, but even more fulfilling for me is running the numbers and figuring out every single day, a certain amount of money is being paid down on my principles. And so simply by waking up and maybe that day I'll deal with a problem, I'll have a challenge from one of the tenanted properties, something that needs to be fixed, might have to buy a new fridge, new dishwasher. And that day it cost me more than what was paid down. But the next 40 days, there's no problems. And when you add that all up, that's an amazing amount of principal that is being accumulated, paid down on your mortgage that is going towards your personal wealth. That is a end result of you leveraging probably 20% and mortgaging the rest. Like, so powerful. just for breaking it down for people that don't understand the concept, can you give me the, you're talking to a kindergarten class. What is principal pay down? So if I borrow $100,000 from the bank and it's costing me $500 a month to service that debt, mm -hmm. let's say 50% of that is principal pay down and 50% of that is interest. So the interest is going to the bank to thank them for having confidence in me and lending me the money. The $250, half of it is going back, slowly accumulating, and that is money that's going to come back to me in equity. When you sell your home. Yes. Wonderful. That's awesome. Are you ready to build a stronger financial future, but don't know where to start? Connect with our advisors with Prometheus Private Advisory Group. We commit to understanding where you are financially today and where you want to be tomorrow. By providing you the knowledge, tools, and guidance through achievable objectives, we can help reach your financial goals quicker. For more information and a free consultation, email ben.chan at ppagroup.ca. A stronger financial future starts today. Another beautiful pleasure of the real estate market and a hot topic of conversation always is the idea of market growth yes and the concept certainly the canadian concept we're speaking to you today from vancouver british columbia canada one of the most beautiful places on earth and what we have heard for almost my entire adult life is that the canadian real estate market is a bubble is a bubble is a bubble overpriced and that has been an ongoing conversation for more than 25 years can you share some of your thoughts on that yeah. So if I was talking to someone in the States that was saying that it often comes back that we're underappreciating the differences. So at a high level, you know, some key points in the States, a lot of people can walk away from their properties if they're underwater and it's not like a complete bankruptcy the way we would have it. In a lot of places in the States, they don't have the rigid rules around the amount of down payment 
that a buyer has to bring to the table for an investment. And also primary residence as well in the States are the, the interest that you pay, you can write it off on your taxes. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more leverage. There's a lot more risk and fluctuations in the American landscape versus the Canadian. The average Canadian homeowner or investor has a vast amount of money in equity and as a down payment in their home. And so the risk profile that I've never understood when people argue is the market has to shift, in my opinion, 20 to 40% before you get a tidal wave of people wanting to walk away from their property. And I just see nothing that will cause that. I think there's a very level playing field of buyers and sellers in the Canadian landscape because it's a lot harder to purchase a property here mm-hmm. than it is in the US. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we're extremely expensive based on what the general consumer makes as a household in earnings. Mm-hmm. And in many times, people were looking at very few micro niche markets okay. for that comparison. And yes, Canada across the board in the last 18 months has certainly increased in price across all averages. But you know, I don't see Canadian real estate in a bubble. I see it as very expensive and it kind of caught up on the world stage. And so locally from a Vancouver perspective, pre, we were obviously alive, but we weren't participating in it in Expo. That was kind of the first mission of the rocket, so to speak, of exposing the West Coast of Canada to the world. And the growth that we've seen since then, I think, is putting us in line with other great cities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have so much to offer that I see ourselves now as a very expensive, world-class city, but not overpriced. Mm. Okay. Some of the other components of the joy or the, the enjoyment of owning and really investing in the idea of having great investment properties and being a great landlord is about providing safe and stable housing to people. Can you share with us some of your thoughts on that front? You know, so there's all rentals are providing housing to someone. And I think there's a lot of mid-level properties that benefit when a normal, well-intentioned, good landlord like ourselves purchase it. And they have a relationship with the tenant that they're like, you know, this is the caliber and style of home that you're renting that I purchased. And I will keep it in this condition no matter what. And I want you to be here as little or as long as fits for you. Mm -hmm. You know, the average Canadian investor is not, you know, an investor that's got 20, 30 properties. It's a regular family, you know, around the corner that bought their primary residence, you know, worked hard to pay the mortgage, got some equity, might save up some money that they put on the down payment for their investment property. And they might own one or two investment properties and they're not looking to flip them or sell them quickly. They're probably <laughs> holding on to them for you know decades. And during that time, it happens again and again. I see amazing relationships between landlord and tenants where the tenant is paying substantially less than market rate for the rent and the landlord's happy and the tenant's happy and the landlord is maintaining it. They know they bought it 15 years ago, so they know their rent is below market, but you know they're offering safe and stable housing and the landlord feels rewarded and feels like, you know, they're doing a good thing while at the same time they're collecting for their retirement and the tenant has a win. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Which brings us back to an idea of impact, of giving back and making a difference. So can you share with us in your vision what you're building and what you hope to do in terms of impact? You know, it's like anything. First, you're taking care of yourself and take care of myself. And then once my basic necessities are covered, I'm focusing now on my family. And I want to get to a point where hopefully we're building a legacy of rental properties that my kids can take over and run like a business. And 
along the path. I mean, you and I are slowly increasing ever so much every year, every month, what we're giving back through our donations in the community, through our sponsorships. And we wouldn't have the ability to give if we weren't growing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my form of giving back right now and making a difference is in taking excess revenues and committing to, you know, I kind of have a commitment over the next 20 years, a certain amount of money I want to donate and the impact I want to have. 15 years ago, I didn't qualify for a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so I never thought about giving back, Mm -hmm. right? Like thought about putting money into RSPs to reduce my taxes. And that was the extent of Mm -hmm. my thinking. And so I've been given an opportunity to grow our own wealth and through that, giving back and making a difference. That's amazing. Any other concepts on the pain and pleasure front as it relates to owning or managing investment properties? Anything else that you think is relevant to share? Yeah, never really gets spoken about, but for me, it was very impactful. Your personal growth as you become a landlord. I mean, I became a landlord long before I was a father and I think it helped me become a better father because, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but a lot of times you're dealing in relationships that have some drama between a tenant and a landlord. Mm -hmm. And so- If you want to take it professionally and you want to elevate yourself out of the emotions of it and approach it from like, how can we resolve this? Where's the win for the tenant? Where's the win for the landlord? You're starting to engage in problem solving that perhaps previously you weren't doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's made me a better partner, a better husband. And I've gotten so many skills from it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the next thing that can come from there is cross-pollination, cross-opportunity. So there's tenants who've become friends of mine, tenants who've become babysitters of the family, you know, friends, clients, people that then left my property and moved back home or to another area. And then later we visited and, you know, we Mm. traveled. So there's a lot of benefits beyond just the financials. Very cool. If you're just getting your your toes into this game or you're thinking about considering the possibility of getting into investment real estate, what's your first step, Roland? What, what can somebody do if they're interested in learning a little bit more? Get some information. So talk to people who have investment properties and figure out, you know, what they like and what they don't like. Model after them and spend some time investigating people who have what you think you want to figure Mm -hmm. out, you know, would they do things differently? And the classic questions of, you know, what are three things that you would do differently today? What are three things you want to avoid? And what are the kind of three things you wish you knew? Mm -hmm. And kind of get comfortable with the reality of what you would be engaging in. And that is that you're going to get out of your comfort zone, which is good because the comfort zone for most people is where dreams die and opportunities are lost. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand that, It's not very complicated, but it's not easy. Yes. And so if you take care of the work, it'll happen. You'll move forward. How do I find you? Oh, wow. We got lots of places. Canadian Passive and Active Real Estate Facebook page is online. You can call me on my cell at any time or text me at 604-970-0393. And you can always find both of us on our kimbuna.com webpage where we're helping both homeowners and investors move forward with their real estate goals. And that's K-Y-M-B-U-N-A, the very Swiss Kim. The very Swiss Kim. Thank you so much, Roland, for sharing all your gems of wisdom. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.